Hey, thanks for tuning into our podcast today. My name is Derek Puckett. I'm the lead pastor at Renewal Church of Chicago. If you want to know more information about us, you can head to our website at RenewalChicago.com. I pray today that this message is a blessing and an encouragement to your soul. Go ahead and grab your Bible, John chapter 12. That's where we'll be this morning. Look online for more pictures and me dancing and trying to sing the Chris's songs because people kept texting me last night, you need to stop singing. Let Chris sing. I'm like, man, I'm happy. Can I sing when I'm happy? Ain't that a song, Ashley? I sing because I'm happy. Y'all, ain't, y'all quiet this morning. Come on, man. John chapter 12, that's what we'll be this morning. I'm going to read verses 1 through 8. We're going to continue our series on vision. Uh, this is my wife's, one of her favorite passages. Go ahead and stand on your feet if you're able. We're going to read verses 1 through 8. We're going to look at one of the ladies in the scripture, which I, I love looking at this passage. Uh, verses 1 through 8, if you got it, go ahead and say, got it. got it. Got it. Here now the reading of God's word. It says, six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany where Lazarus was whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there, and Martha served. And Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at table. Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of perfume, but Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, Why wasn't this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? And he said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put in it. And Jesus said, Leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. Very word of God. Amen. Today, I want to preach on the topic being devoted to the right person. Being devoted to the right person. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for you. God, I do ask right now as we enter into your word that you would hide me behind the cross so that you may be lifted up. Decrease me, Lord, so that you may increase. Holy Spirit, have your way in this room. Work in our hearts, Lord Jesus. Convict where you need to convict. Encourage where you need to encourage. Let us turn our hearts to be truly devoted to you. It's in the mighty name of Jesus that we all say together, amen, amen. You can be seated. True story. At six months old, this boy could balance himself in the palm of his father's hand as his father walked throughout the house with him in his hand. At seven months old, he, he started to uh, drag a golf putter around with him through the house that he had found, uh, one that was his size. Everywhere he went at seven months old, he would drag this golf putter around. At 10 months old, he started to imitate a golf swing that he'd seen on TV. He grabbed his putter or his driver, 
his size, and he'd just swing it. At two years old, story goes that he, he won his first golf tournament, a 10 and under tournament. At three years old, he, he would learn how to hit a golf ball out of a sand trap. Now, all my golfers in here know that the sand trap is the devil. <laughs> By four years old, this boy had to learn how to navigate the media and, and reporters. He'd be dropped off at the golf course 9 a.m. in the morning and stay there for eight hours until he was picked up after practice. And at the young age of eight years old, he would beat his father in golf for the first time. And the father would say, one day my son will be more impactful than Nelson Mandela, Gandhi, as well as Buddha. Anyone know who I'm talking about? Tiger Woods. Tiger Woods is arguably the greatest golf player who has ever played the game. And one of the best athletes who has ever walked on this earth. And what we notice about his life is that he was totally sold out to golf. Leading all golfers with 15 majors that he's won and 82 tour championships. Now, that's more than any other, other golfer up to this point. Golf was and is everything to Tiger Woods. And because of this, as many of us know, many things like his marriage and his personal life have suffered due to sexual addictions and alcoholism, etc., on down the line. But by paying attention to the life of Tiger Woods, we learn what true devotion to something can do. It can make you possibly the greatest at whatever you put your hands to, whatever you're doing. But to your detriment, it can also make other parts of your life a mess in the process, which causes us to question devotion. The reason being is because devotion, if I'm honest with you, being totally devoted to something, it's, it's not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing. The question we got to answer, as I've said through weeks up to this point, is who or what are we actually devoted to? That, that's the question. Devotion's not bad. I mean, the reality is we want commitment in our lives, right? We like commitment. I mean, we want commitment in our marriages. Nobody wants to be committed to somebody who's not committed, and you out here doing whatever you want. We don't want that type of marriage, do we? I need some amens in here. Y'all kind of quiet. I like, I'm like, I'm wondering about y'all. We... We, we don't want that type of commitment, right? We, we want real commitment, true commitment. We want commitment in our finances where we're good stewards. We want commitment in our friendships, commitment at our jobs. We want commitment. So commitment is, is not a bad thing, but hear me with this. When you're committed to the wrong things, anything other than God, it's dangerous, because whatever that thing is, or a person, it will never satisfy you totally, and it will always take more, and it will always need more, or you got to have more of it. It's like a leash that attaches itself to you, and it just takes, it just takes, it just takes, and it never gives to you. 
We can all name people who have been very devoted to something and have been very successful on one hand, but on the other hand, they've been a total failure. The reason I'm pointing this out is because we live in a world that tells us to be sold out to everything but Jesus. And instead of being sold out to Christ with our whole lives, we're told just make Christianity a part of your life. Uh, just, just give Jesus this. Just go to church on Sunday. That, that's all you got to do. Read your Bible once a week. Hear the pastor preach. That's all you got to do. Let, let him be part of your life or, or, or just go to Jesus when you need something and, and he'll help you get to where you want to get to in life. He'll help you on that journey that you desire when in actuality, it, 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 we go to Jesus like, this is my plan, God. I need you to help me. In actuality, we really need to be going with him like, Jesus, here's my plans, but I want you to do with it what you want with my life. God, your will be done, not my will. We, we go the wrong way to Jesus, and the reality is, is that he gives life. He's the only one that can give life and life to the full. He's the only one that can give us true hope, joy, satisfaction, lasting peace, fulfillment that we seek for. The only one, hear me, family, that truly deserves devotion. More than your children, more than your spouse, more than your dog and your cat, whatever you're truly devoted to, Christ deserves it all. So devotion to him comes before anything else. And the Christian is to believe he will do what's best for them, even if it may be contrary to what you want. Even if it's deemed crazy by the world. Today in our passage, I love this one, Mary, upon learning who Jesus is as the resurrection and life, she, she shows us what true devotion and surrender looks like. And so as we continue with this first prong of our vision, renewing hearts by the power of the gospel, hear me, we cannot fully experience the fulfillment that God has for us or that we desire if we're not totally devoted. Jesus. So today we're going to look at the character and the, the actions of Mary in this passage. I'm not going to use too many illustrations outside of the passage, so I need y'all to stick with me as we walk through this. I just want us to look at the life of Mary. I want to look at what she does, and this is going to help us to see what total surrender and devotion looks like. Today, again, I, I want to talk about being devoted to the right person. Three points. Number one, true devotion came first from Jesus. True devotion came first from Jesus. Number two, true devotion gives it all no matter the cost. And number three, true devotion gives it all to Jesus. True devotion gives it all to Jesus. Now, in order to understand our passage today, we, we, I, I got to set the stage for you all a little bit. I got to paint a picture in the background, which means that we got to look at the context of what's happening here and then around uh, John chapter 12. So in John chapter 11, to give you a bit of context, we read about Jesus being in a place called Perea, where he, he, he's a, he, he hears about the death of Lazarus. Now, Jesus, you got to know this, he has just escaped 
being stoned for the third time, not once or twice, but the third time. Once in chapter 5, 18, where he healed on the Sabbath, claiming to be God. And then you keep reading in chapter 8, 59, he claims that to the Jews, he says, I am. I, I was there before him. I, I, I was there before Abraham. I am was before Abraham. Again, he's claiming to be God. And then chapter 10, verse 39, he claims that he and God are one. Now, these stoning incidents are significant. They're important because here in chapter 11, in order for Jesus to get to Lazarus, he has to go back through Judea, which means that he has to go through where the Jews are. And he's just almost been stoned for the third time. Y'all follow me with this? This means that he has to go back through the land where he can potentially be killed. And this time is different because he knows if I go back through there, and so do his disciples, if we go back through there, I, I, I'm surely going to die. And the question is, they, the disciples see this and they, they, they start questioning Jesus. Why would you go back there? Why do you want to do that? You sure, you're about, sure about this, Jesus? And Jesus chooses to go. And they say, well, we'll go with you, Jesus. And I love it. Doubting Thomas. Doubting Thomas says, verse 16 of chapter 11, let us go with him so that we may die. It's the same dude that had to stick his hands through Jesus' holes after he resurrected. He, he doubted him, but here he's like, let's die for you. I, I, now, the point we cannot miss, even outside of Thomas and, and them saying we'll die with Jesus here, is that Jesus cares for his friends so much so that even though, no, he, even though he's going to die, he knows this, he still chooses to go. He says, I, I'm going to go back for my friend. See, when we're talking about devotion, don't miss this. We have to remember that Jesus was first devoted to us. He didn't have to step out of heaven, but he does. He, he didn't have to be ridiculed or whipped and beat to a pope or spit on. Or, or, or he, and he surely didn't have to hang on a cross for sins that he didn't commit. But he chooses to do all these things out of love. See, when we believe, we have to remember that we have a Savior that was first devoted to us and loves us enough to give his life. Jesus was first devoted to us, and we respond to that devotion. It's not vice versa. We don't do, and then God responds to us. That's what the world teaches. That's what we like to think sometimes. I did this, God, and so I deserve that. That, that makes your life and your, 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 your relationship with God transactional. That's not what it's about. God has done all these things on our behalf first, first where he gave his son up on our behalf, and now we respond to the grace and the goodness and the love of Jesus Christ. It's, it's not vice versa. And so you look at this passage in Mary and Martha. They're the sisters of Lazarus, and they, they come to Jesus, and they're asking him for help. They're saying, we don't want our brother to die. He, he's sick, Jesus. We need you. But I love what Jesus does here. He waits four days after Lazarus has died. Now, the reason being here, because it doesn't make sense. They run and watch Jesus. Come on, come on, Jesus. We need your help. He waits four days because popular Jewish belief was that, that the spirit of the body after they died would hover around the body for at least three days. And on the fourth day, they were surely dead. And so Jesus divinely says, I'm going to wait four days and I'm going to come when I want to. So when the, he, he comes and he calls Lazarus, Lazarus, come on, get up out of the tomb, raising him from the dead. Jesus' true power and his deity would be known and there would be nothing or anybody in the place that could refute him. He, 
But the problem here is that nobody knows that. No, 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 nobody's understanding what's going on here. They're not thinking about him being the resurrection and the life. No, Mary and Martha, they're both saddened because Jesus did not come in time. Their brother has died. They both come to him frantic and doubting. And I love what Jesus says in John chapter 11, verse 25 and 26. Look at it with me. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives believes in me and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this, Martha? He says, I am God. I am the resurrection and the life. I have power over life and death. I made everything. And if you believe, you won't die, but you'll live with me forever. Do you believe, Martha? Do you trust me? This is what Jesus is asking him. Friends, Martha and Mary here, they wanted Jesus to work when they wanted him to on their timing, and now they're doubting him because their brother has died. And Jesus says, do you really trust me? I'm right here. I'm the resurrection and the life. Do you trust me, Martha? Do you you really believe in me? I know it looks bleak right now and your brother is gone, but do you believe in me? See, too many times in life we want God to work on our own timing And not understanding that God has a will. God has a purpose. And he has a timing for everything that he does. I mean, here's the reality. Things things may not be lining up with what we want. It may not feel good, but God has a purpose. He has a reason. There's a reason that some of us right now that desire to be married are not married right now. It may not feel good, but there's a reason. There's a reason where you look at your life and you figure, I'm not where I want to be or I'm not who I want to be right now. There's a reason. It may not feel good, but but there's a reason for everything. There's a reason that some of you all desire kids right now, but you're not having them. God has a reason. It may not feel good, but there's a reason. Listen to me. Everybody needs to hear this. God doesn't do anything by accident. He works on his own timing. Sadly, that doesn't always line up with our own timing. But it's, it's not our job to try to figure him out. It's our job to trust him. And sometimes, if not most of the time, it's without knowing the outcome. And that's hard. But if scripture is true, and I do believe it is, then I believe what it says where what he does and when he does it will be for his glory and for the good of those that love him. Do you trust him, Renewal? I know some of you guys are looking at me like, okay, Pastor D, I don't know if I'm there yet. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I'm not sure if I'm there. Well, let's look at how the sisters respond. Martha says, yes to Jesus. Yes, I believe you. I trust you. And he later proceeds to raise Lazarus from the dead. And this would be the last straw for Jesus. All the haters in the land and the, the Pharisees, they're like, we're going to kill him now because he, he brought him back from the dead. And so this is what leads to the crucifixion of Jesus. But with this bit of context, what you see is that Jesus is first devoted to us, which leads to this passage today because we see Mary 
as a result of believing in who Jesus is and seeing what he's done with her brother, she now performs an act of true devotion towards Jesus. Our passage begins by saying that there was six days before the Passover, which begins the following Friday, which is also the day that Jesus is crucified. So this is six days before Jesus' crucifixion. The setting of our passage in chapter 12 takes place in the house of Simon the leper, according to verse 6 of Matthew 26. Now, that's a different account of the same passage. It's recorded in Matthew. I love this. Put this in your pocket as you go away. Uh, this is one of the advantages of reading the four Gospels. As you read through them, sometimes you can flip to the other one and find the same account, or, and, and it's written a little differently, and now you can fill in the gaps in what you're, you're reading a little bit in the, in the account that you're in. And so what we're doing right now is you, you read that, that's, that it's in Simon the leper's house. It doesn't really say it where we are right now, but you see that in the other account. That's exactly what's taking place here. This account is recorded in Matthew 26, verses 6 through 13, and Mark 14, verses 3 through 9. But the focus here in John is a bit different. It focuses more on Mary's act intently, where the other accounts are focusing on, let's teach the disciples. Now, we're going to reference this a bit more as we get later, but if you read those, you see they don't even mention Mary's name. It's not about Mary. It's about teaching the disciples. But I urge you, as you read not only this account or as you read other things within the four Gospels, I want you to flip back and forth and see, see how they fill in the gaps with each other and how they are similar and different and how they harmonize together. So what we see in this passage, it takes place in Simon the leper's house, and they're at a banquet. This banquet is most likely to honor Jesus for raising Lazarus from the dead. And I want to I help you kind of see this picture a little bit clearer as they're sitting in, in Simon the leper's house. And what, what's going on, they're eating at this banquet. They're probably eating and drinking. They're hanging out. And just to give you a little picture, I'm going to try to demonstrate this. They're laying on the ground. This is how they would eat. They'd hang out and they'd lay on one arm. And they would be in a U shape. And so all of the men are laying down, and there's an opening because it's a U. And they're eating, they're chilling, they're drinking, having a good old time. And the women or the servants would come in the circle, and they would serve food. They would clean up the food, they would take it away, and then they would leave that U shape that all the men are laughing and having a good time. And so as they're eating in this shape, here comes Mary. All right? The, the scene is tense. It's not lighting like this. They, they probably got candles, maybe some oil for some lanterns, or, but, but it, it, it's, 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 it's dimly lit. And she walks into the room, disturbing the dinner, and she just starts dousing Jesus with like oil on his feet. Other accounts would tell us on his head, and then she starts wiping all of it all of him with her hair. Now, just to bring you back to the moment and what's going on right now, Jesus has already been threatened to be stoned to death three times. He just brought Lazarus back from the dead. So this ain't just no hunky-dory moment where they're sitting there and eating. Jesus could die at any moment. So, so Mary walks in, and I, I know the disciples are like, yo, wait a second. She throwing all this ointment and stuff. Is she about to burn up Jesus? What's going on? 
And you know, you know, Peter, he kind of trigger happy already with his sword. He like, I'm about to slice this woman. What's up? You touching Jesus in the dark? He's kind of gangster with his, with his sword, you know? Just paint the picture a little bit. That's what's happening right now. Mary walks in with her most prized possession. She breaks it and she starts wiping Jesus. She, she doesn't care what anybody has to think or what could happen to her, which brings us to our second point. True devotion gives it all no matter the cost. She takes her most prized possession, an alabaster jar, which is used as a dowry and is broken at the feet of her future husband, symbolizing her love, her devotion, her commitment to him. This alabaster jar is said to be worth some 300 denarii, where one denarii is a day's wages. So let's do some simple math in here. Someone makes $150 today a day in our time. This, when you times that by 300, any mathematicians in here, that's $45,000, which might be on the low end, y'all. She ain't get this from the neighborhood supermarket. This ain't no olive oil. No, she she didn't get this from the man on the corner talking about, I got two for a dollar, two for a dollar, five for ten, I'll make you win tonight. No, he didn't. No. Some of y'all know exactly what, y'all from the hood, and y'all know what I'm talking about. No, she got this from northern India. This type of nard was only used for solemn acts of devotion. In fact, they used uh, less expensive ointment when, when people came in the house to anoint them. No, but not Mary. We see her in this passage break this jar, her most prized possession, her dowry at the feet of Jesus to show how much she loves him, honors, respects, and is devoted solely to him. Now, I need y'all to take a second with me on this one. Think about it. Could you give up your most prized possession for Jesus? And don't answer that question too quickly. Maybe that, that car you've been wanting your whole life, you like it a lot. It's a hybrid, Tesla, whatever. That, that, that house, you finally got a house in Chicago. The pair of shoes that you, you've been waiting, you couldn't get when you were a kid. That job, your spouse, your kids. What is your most prized possession? I want you to take that thing or that person and question, what what does your devotion look like to that as opposed to Jesus? Does Jesus have a part of you or does he have all of you? Now, I'm going to be honest with this one. This is very hard because many of you, you're probably like me. And if I feel that I can handle something or something that, that's in my life that I've earned and it's mine or I, I, I feel like I can do something or I can accomplish it in my own strength, then, then why, should I, why do I need to give it up? Why do I need to give this to God or anybody else? It's mine. I, it, I, I earned it. I did all of this. It, I got it in my possession. Why? And see, it's, it's hard to give up things or, or surrender what we feel is ours. We feel we can handle. And see, that's where the problem lies. It's either a control issue because you feel like you can handle what's in your life or whatever's in your way. Or it's a power issue because you, you, you feel you're like me and you feel like you have the capability or you can conquer whatever's in your path. 
And even if those things are true, one or the other is true, it's still a problem. And it's still detrimental because the reality is that, that you're now dependent upon yourself instead of being dependent on God. And the reality for all of us in here, even myself, is that we're all flawed, which means that we're going to mess up. But God never messes up. And see, I, I think that we suffer from what I like to say, like a, a God complex. And, and we struggle with giving Jesus all of us, because we want to hold on to everything. And at the end of the day, there's a lack of trust. We don't truly trust and believe that if I let go of everything, as I said last week, it will be for our good. And I would venture to say that some of us or some of those with trust issues, which all of us got some trust issues, it's come from us putting our trust in the wrong thing or the wrong person, and somewhere along the line, that thing or that person has let you down, and now when you come to God, you start looking at him like that thing or that person, and you say, well, God, I can't give you this part of me, or I can't give you this thing in my life, because you're going to do me just like that person, so I'm going to hold on to this, God, because if if I give it to you, you're going to let me down just like my daddy did. You're going to let me down like my mom did. My friend, my brother, my sister, you, you're going to let me down like all of these other people have in my life. So, God, I'm, I'm going to hold on to this. I'm not giving you all of me because I got this. See, Mary in this passage makes us question, are we willing to let go of all we have and give it all up for Jesus? Are we devoted enough to him that we would give our lives, our most prized possession, See, some of us, we're holding on to our figurative alabaster jars like this. We're not letting go of anything. This is mine. And I know, I know, I know. There's somebody in here who's like, I, Pastor D, I, I gave it all to Jesus. He got all of me. I got, he got all of me. Well, well, keep walking with me. I, I'm, I'm going to come to your neighborhood in a minute. See, in this text, Mary is not only giving up her most prized possession, but she is also risking her life socially as well as physically for Jesus. Mary, as I said earlier, she should not be in the room with the men unless she's cooking or cleaning. Now, we may not like that here in our 21st century, but here's the reality. Women back then were the ones that cooked and cleaned. So the men are in there having a banquet. They weren't allowed in the room. So when she comes in the room and she's not cooking or cleaning or giving them food, she's interrupting the party, and she could be severely punished by doing what she's doing. She doesn't care, though. On top of that, listen, I, I, I know we, we're in, this, in, in this, this day and age where we wear our hair however we want. And I'm, Robinson, I'll be asking, what is Jimmy Butler doing with his hair, bro? Like, I mean, we just, we just like to express ourselves with our hair and all that stuff, and it's cool. But back then... Jewish women didn't take their hair down. They, ha- they kept it up, especially in public, because if you took your hair down in public, you were considered unruly, not easily manageable. And so she could be ridiculed and talked about for the rest of her life. She's risking her life by walking in the room, but she doesn't care because at that moment, all that matters is Jesus. My friend, are you at that point this morning? 
could you give up any social or physical status that you possess for Jesus? Or are you holding on to it? Mary at this moment knows that her devotion to Jesus is more important than her life and her reputation. She takes the place of a servant and wipes Jesus' feet, and y'all, she uses her hair as a towel. Now, let me pause. How many of y'all women in here would do that? You're going to take your hair and, and wipe Jesus' feet. I'm waiting. I mean, they didn't have moose. They don't have jail and flat irons and curling irons and all that, Pantene Pro-V and Tresemme and make you dance and shout in the shower, all that other stuff in them commercials. They have none of that stuff. No, they had soap and water. Most of the time, it was just water. And let me, let me paint the picture a little bit for you. Jesus, he didn't have shoes on walking around. He had the latest rawhide sandals with the lace, lace up in the back, you know, which means that his feet were out like Pastor Steve like wears his feet out. His, his, his feet were out. And it, toes out, fun's out, right? Sun's out, but it wasn't always sun. He's walking through the dirt. Anything on the ground, y'all. Dirt, doodle, camel stuff, everything, just, uh. And he walks in the house like, uh, corns and everything. I'm messing your picture of your Savior up. Jesus' feet was nasty, y'all. And he comes in the house, and she's just dousing them as they're sitting at this, at, 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 in the U-shape, and, and she's using her hair. Could you do that? She doesn't care. This took humility. She makes Jesus her aim and focal point, not herself. Listen, when we really know Jesus, we can't help but to do radical things, especially those that are viewed as outside of the cultural norm, because our aim is beyond what this world has to offer. Scripture tells us, Romans 12, 2, do not be conformed to this world. But be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Believers don't live with the end zone being transformed to this world. We live with our focus to glorify God. Mary in this passage, y'all, she walks in quiet, doesn't say a word. She comes into the room and all she wants to do is glorify her Lord and Savior. Jesus, Mary, doesn't care what anybody has to say. Not even Jesus at that moment. She don't say, what up, Jesus? Can I douse you with this oil? No, no. She walks in the room and, and she just starts getting down to business because only the only thing she cares about right now is glorifying him. Her father, her, her Lord, her ultimate aim is to glorify Jesus. She gave it all. Anointing him in his feet and his head. She did this for the man that she knew as her king, her Lord, Savior, Redeemer, deepest love. She gave it all. And the question, once again, we have to answer is who or what are we truly devoted to? Because many of us, we're like Tiger Woods, we're really devoted to something or some person, but if we're honest, it ain't Jesus. It's ourselves. It's our comfort. 
It's our peace. It's our power. It's our hopes, our dreams. It's that significant other. You fill in the blank. See, true devotion gives it all. But listen, more importantly than her action, if you haven't got it by now, more importantly, it is who she's devoted to. Which is our last point. True devotion gives it all to Jesus. Sometimes, if not most of the time, we're devoted to the wrong things. When at the end of the day, listen to me, without the grace of God, we wouldn't have anything in our lives. Thank you. You understood. We wouldn't be married. We wouldn't have kids. We wouldn't have money or a nice job. We wouldn't have a house. Whatever we have, we would not have if it had not been for the grace of God in our lives. And some of y'all are not clapping right now because you like Pastor D. I earned this. I did this. I worked so hard, I pulled myself up by my own bootstraps. And I'm like, look here, honey, I'm glad that you worked hard. The reality is you may have worked hard. I work hard to, where, to, to get to where I am right now. But here's the reality, and I'm going to burst your bubble with this one because I had to think about this a little bit. If God had not worked hard in Genesis 1 and then worked hard to form you in his image. So when you put the two together, God had the will to work and he put that in us. And so if God doesn't have the will to work and didn't form us in his image, then none of us know how to work. It's only by the grace of God that you are where you are today. See, if we're going to be devoted to someone and willing to give up everything, it should be Jesus. No thing or anybody else is worth that amount of devotion. Now, listen, with that, when I talk about devotion, that doesn't mean I don't want any of y'all to walk out of here and just start. I got to put my car up on cars.com. I got to sell this thing. I got to sell my house on Redfin. I got to get rid of this because Pastor D said I got to be devoted and I can't have nothing else. And Jesus didn't have a home. To, he didn't have a place to put his head, so I don't need a place to put my head. I'm going to be homeless. No, don't do that. I, I ain't tell you to do that. I, I, I Hands off. Devotion doesn't mean that you have to give up everything, but it does question what are you willing to let go of? What are you holding on to that you won't let go of? Now, hear me, sometimes you do have to let, give up some things because it's too high of a priority in your life. You're serving that thing, it's an idol. But the question we got to answer is, what is it that we're willing to let go of? What are we holding on to? And, and when we answer that question, it tells us a little bit something about the condition of our heart and what we really truly care about. A scripture, Matthew 6, 21 says this, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where's your treasure this morning, Renewal? Have you truly trusted Jesus with your heart? Are you truly devoted to him? Nothing that we have compares to what we have or can have in Jesus. When Jesus died on the cross, he doesn't just die for our sins or for our wrongdoings, but then he resurrects afterwards from the grave, symbolizing he has power in his hands over Satan, sin, and death, and he places that same power in us to walk in this life. Thus, we have a new life, not only here, but also in heaven when we'll be with him one day. See, true life is found in him. Our righteousness is found in Jesus. When he gives us life, it's not 
just eternal life, but he he, 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 he reigns and he wraps us in his arms of righteousness to the point that even when we mess up, God ain't looking down on you and saying, I can't believe you did that and shaking his head. But he's looking at you because you're wrapped as a believer in the righteousness of Jesus. And he's saying, well done, my son. Well done, my daughter. And what does this mean? It means that he didn't just pay our sin debt on, on the cross some 2,000 years ago, but that same Jesus still stands interceding between us and God as the unblemished lamb that takes away all the sins of the world. So now we can live from a place of freedom because we're justified in his righteousness instead of our righteousness. We can walk and live in freedom, not having to prove ourselves anymore because Jesus has already done it for us. There's freedom when you walk with Jesus. He's already done all the work. Now listen, as a result, this understanding now should make us want to serve him out of heart of devotion. Because he is the glory of God. He is the righteousness of God. We serve him not because of what he can do for us, but we serve him, or not because of what we can do for him, but we serve him because of what he's already done for us. Many of us, if we're honest, during this pandemic, we've been kind of like Martha's sister. You notice she's not even around. We've been scurrying. Mary's sister, we've been like Martha. We've been running around, scurrying around, trying to, we've been devoted to all kinds of things doing all these things, and, and Jesus has been there the whole time. We're not even paying attention to him. Or we've been like the disciples who, who are sitting, reclining here with Jesus. But at the end of the day, they really are devoted to him. We go to church on Sundays, we read our Bibles, and we know about Jesus. But are we really devoted when we really understand Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life, knowing all he's done for us, we end up at his feet like Mary saying, here I am, Jesus. I'm totally devoted to you. Is that you today, family? Are you truly devoted to Jesus or are you not? Let me leave you with one last thought from the text. Because I know someone's saying, well, Pastor D, be devoted to Jesus, and, and then what? What do I do then? Well, if you look at this text, uh, her actions here had much bigger implications than her just giving up something. It wasn't just about her in the text. When, when we truly understand what Jesus has done on our behalf and we're truly devoted to him, our actions tend to line up with the will of God. Watch this. Jesus here says, leave her alone in verse 6, because she has anointed my body for the day of my burial. And then he says that wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Researchers say that the potency of this aroma was so strong that it stayed on Jesus through his last week of his life. Through, through the Last Supper, through all the flogging and the beating, through the crucifixion, his burial and resurrection, everywhere Jesus went, 
this aroma went with him. Now let me see if I can make this plain because I don't want you to miss this. So she comes in the room and she puts all this oil and dart on Jesus. Jesus gets up and next day or so, he hops on the donkey, triumphant entry. And he runs in and everybody's singing, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. But as the wind blows, they, they start smelling the nard. Ooh, that smells good. What is that smell? Jesus keeps on carrying throughout the week, and people, as he walks by, they, they smell everything that's on Jesus. And as he sits at the Last Supper with the disciples, they're smelling this. They're continually smelling this ointment. And then as he's taken away in chains after the betrayal, and they're parading him through, through, the, through the city, they, they, the people around are... What's that smell? It smells so sweet. It smells so good. And as he, he's hunched over that stump and they're beating him and ripping the flesh off his back in the midst of smelling flesh, they're smelling. Why does it smell sweet? That doesn't make sense. They're smelling this aroma. And then he hikes up that hill with the cross on his back. And as he walks past the people, the people are like, what is that smell? And as he hangs on the cross and he says, my God, why have you forsaken me? The wind goes by. Everybody breathes it in. Man, it smells so sweet. But here's where it gets good. Jesus goes to the grave. The nard stays on him all of those three days. He gets up from the grave. And as he walks about the town, the resurrected Lord and King, people start what is that smell? I just saw that man die on the cross. There's no way that that's the same guy I saw crucified, and now he's back again. He's alive. That's, that's Jesus. That's the risen Lord. The, the Bible says everywhere Jesus went, the gospel would be proclaimed because of this ointment on him, this nard on him. And I don't know about y'all, but I want my devotion to Jesus to look like that. I want people to see me and say, wow, there's something different about Derek. There's something about... Oh, man, it's that Jesus on him. It's Jesus on him. I, I want to know that same Jesus. I want to be about what he's about. I want to keep my eyes on him. It's something different. See, what we miss about this text is that her devotion to Jesus wasn't just about her devotion or what she was giving up for Jesus, but it was about the gospel being proclaimed and talking about a risen Lord and Savior. We miss that in the text. And I don't know about you, but I want my devotion to look like that. How many of y'all want your devotion to look like that for Jesus. To where when people look at you, they don't look at you and say, wow, you're, you're, you're a great guy, Ethan. Wow, you're a great, great guy, Steve. You're a great guy, Markel. No, they look at you and say, I want to know about this, this Jesus that you serve. Everywhere she went, or everywhere he went, they remembered the smell of the nard that she put on him. Carried into a risen Lord. David Platt says it this way. I love what he says. He says, our great need is to fall before an almighty father day and night and to plead for him to show his radical power in and through us, enabling us to accomplish for his glory what we could never imagine in our own strength. And when we do this, we will discover that we were created for a purpose much greater than ourselves, the kind of purpose that can only be accomplished in the power of his spirit. See, what, what I and I believe David Platt is trying to say here 
is that when we're totally sold out to Jesus, our actions will not only be a sweet aroma to him, but it'll be a sweet aroma to everybody around that's looking at our lives. And when they look at your life, they'll say there's something different about him or her. And the difference that they see that they want to know about will be Jesus. That's what true devotion looks like. That's what we see in the life of Mary. Devotion isn't just about us. We're devoted to Jesus so that he may be glorified, but also so others will come to know him. So, friends, let's be devoted together. And let's see true renewal happen in our lives as well as the lives around us. Amen. Let's pray. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. You are truly awesome, God. I do pray that that would be our life's aim, to glorify you. We live in a world that tells us to live for everything other than you. Seek status, seek money, achievement, find our identity everywhere outside of you. God, I do pray that our aim as a church, as individuals, would be to be devoted to you and to glorify you in all we say and do. Pointing others to you. And we reminded as believers this is not our home, but our home is with you. And one day we'll be released from this earth and we'll be with you. You ask us what we did with this life that you gave us. My prayer for all of us is that we'll be able to say, God, you did what you ask, and you'll say, well done, my good and faithful servant. So, God, I pray for the person that's struggling, God, that hasn't been truly devoted and on the fence, waffling back and forth, trying to find their way back. The person that really needs renewal in their hearts by your power and your power alone, God. Pray right now that they would just say, Jesus, here I am. Whatever they're holding on to, that figurative alabaster jar, God, here it is. That we make your, our, your feet our, our resting place. Place of worship. Thank you, Father. We pray, I'll pray all these things in the mighty name of Jesus and everyone said together. Amen. Thanks again for tuning into our podcast today. I pray that it was a blessing and an encouragement to your soul. I look to see you at one of our services at 9 or 11 a.m. on Sunday morning. Take care. God bless you.